And uh, so glad that you're here. Visitors that are here today, uh, if you are here as a visitor, we're very happy that you came. Let's turn to John chapter 4, Gospel of John chapter 4. As we continue our ongoing study of uh, verse by verse through this through this gospel, I saw I saw on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook very often, but uh, sometimes I get on and just scroll through and see who's saying what. I saw a pastor friend of mine in North Carolina is also preaching from the Gospel of John, and. Uh, I think he's in chapter 1, and I sent him a message saying I'm preaching in John's gospel as well. So it was, in, it was interesting to see that someone else is in the same, same passage, same book. All right, this morning I'd like to read, um, beginning at verse 7. And I'll read down through verse 20. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You know, as I began to think about this passage, I began to think about just water in general. And you know, water is big business in the world today. According to the Beverage Marketing Group, Americans spend, get this now, $16 billion a year on bottled water. $16 billion a year. 
We live in a day where you can choose from a wide variety of waters by brand names, even designer waters, Fiji, Evian, Dasani, Nestled Pure Life, Aquafina, which happens to be my favorite, Voss, Mountain Valley, Smart Water, I need a lot of that. There's even one called heart water, which really does nothing for your heart. This woman of Samaria knew that she needed water, but she has become increasingly confused about the right water, which one is the right one. Her response is not unreasonable when she says to the Lord, Give me this water from a, from a human, purely human standpoint. It's clear that she is not seeing the spiritual truth about the words that Jesus is speaking. After hearing about that living water, there would never, and there, that there would never be a, a never ending, there would be a never ending artesian source of inner refreshing and satisfying provision for her. She says to the Lord, Sir, give me this water. I want that water. I don't like being thirsty. And on top of that, I wouldn't have to come here to this well and draw water. However, her response to the Lord is purely physical. She is thinking only about the here and now. She's thinking only about what her body needs and craves. This is the common response of those who are seeking the easy road of salvation, which we have an abundance of in our nation around us and the world around us. They want the peace and the joy and the satisfaction that Jesus offers, but they don't want what it takes to receive it. This woman did not want to have to walk the ten miles from from the city of Sychar to this well to draw water. She did not want to have to to drop that bucket down into that well a hundred feet, fill it with water, and then pull it back up again, and then make a trip back home the ten miles. She wanted not to be thirsty, not because she wanted satisfaction of soul, but because she wanted convenience and comfort. Is that not what the world is looking for today? Comfort and convenience. If you want comfort and convenience, Jesus does not offer it. He doesn't offer that. What He offers is peace and joy and satisfaction in the midst of hardship and pain And sometimes deprivation. 
In verses 16 through 19, Jesus moves the conversation. It starts with his witness to her. And then it moves to the woman's wickedness. And then it moves finally in verse 20 and following to true worship. Her greatest need was repentance of sin and salvation. That's what she needed. That's what he offered in living water. Jesus changes the whole path of the conversation when he, in his omnipotent knowledge of her life, says the very thing that will shake her to the depths of her soul. And here it comes. Go call your husband and come here. Go get your husband and bring him here. This statement would reveal the true heart of this woman. It also reveals the true heart of every other sinner because like this woman, every other sinner tries to cover up and hide their sin. It is the, it is the exposing of sin that is the most difficult for people to grapple with. Some people will come right out and tell you their sin. But when you relate their sin to their to their eternal soul and how it appears before the judgment of God, that changes the whole story. Most people are ashamed in wrongdoing. We've entered a seems to me we've entered into a, a, an era in our in our time when people lack the shame of doing wrong. They're not ashamed to steal anymore. We see them doing it on the, on the news, going into stores and raking things off of the counters into bags and carrying them out, as, and, and even on camera. And not, no mask, no nothing. They're not ashamed. They're not ashamed in so many ways. This woman, this was the very opposite of what she needed. She needed to repent. She needed what would be a motivator to bring her to the place and to the point of repentance. And it would be the work of the Spirit and the Word of Christ that would do that. The Bible knows nothing of a salvation without repentance. You cannot be saved except you repent of sin. It's impossible. The scripture is very clear. Jesus said in in Luke chapter 5, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This was the message of John the Baptist, and it was the message of Christ. Jesus, Jesus said in chapter 13 of Luke, where it's repeated twice in In three verses, he says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I don't know how many times I've used that verse in in witnessing the gospel to people. If you don't don't repent, you'll perish. 
Luke 24, he said to them, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again. And that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What, what is it that's involved in the gospel presentation, in gospel preaching, that is missing across the pulpits and the, and the preaching of America today? It is, the, it is that men and women and boys and girls must repent of their sins in order to be saved. There has to be a change of mind and a change of heart that comes with it. When a, true, when a person truly thirsts for the water of life, they will repent. And they will realize that our God is a gracious God who delights in redeeming and forgiving the guilty. The prophet knew this. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he might be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. Are you dealing and grappling with sin? Then repent and return to the Lord. For he is gracious. He is compassionate. And He will pardon. True repentance always involves a turning away from sin. Turning away. We see examples all through the Scripture. Acts chapter 26. Paul says, I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. What does that mean? It means that when you repent of sin, you turn and go the opposite direction from the sin. And you do deeds that are keeping with the repentance. You do good deeds. You do the opposite of what you were doing. You forsake what you were doing. Forsake that path for the path of righteousness. This is what the Thessalonian believers did. So Paul writes how that they turned to God. That's repenting. They turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They stopped serving their idols. They stopped worshiping idols. And they turned to God and started serving Him. Sin is an uncomfortable and unpopular subject. Most people do not like to talk about their sin. They'll talk about everything else under the sun except their own sinfulness. And the reason for that is because most people don't think they're that sinful. They don't understand the depths of depravity in the human heart. Scripture declares the devastating effects of sin that it has and that it's, that it's brought to the human experience. In fact, Galatians 3 tells us that everything, everyone is imprisoned by it. Listen to it. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Everything. 
so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Everything, all of our deeds, even the ones that we call good, were imprisoned under sin. To God's view, they were filthy rags. This was the state of this woman. King Solomon prayed in his dedication prayer of the temple in 1 Kings 8, for there is no one who does not sin. In fact, John in 1 John tells us that if you say that you haven't sinned, you are a liar and you're not telling the truth. The psalmist declares in Psalm 143, no one living is righteous before you, speaking of God. So what does one do when they realize that they are driving towards an eternal cliff that drops off into an eternal hell? What does one do? The answer is stop. Change your direction. Turn around. Change your mind about where you're going, where you're headed, what you're doing. The fact that mankind is made in the image of God should make everyone aware that they are sinful beings. This is the thrust of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. So realizing the truth about her life, that she never wanted anyone to know and was about to be uncovered, She said to the Lord, I have no husband. Interesting statement. It wasn't a lie, but it was deceptive. She wasn't telling everything. And what she didn't know was that the Lord Jesus knew it all. Nothing can be hidden from him. He knows it all. Sometimes, sometimes I, when I'm praying and I and I, I'm searching my heart, trying to find those things that have offended my God. I can't find them all. I don't know where they're all at. Sometimes I think I'm not even aware of the sinfulness that that's there in my heart and the things that I do and say and think and, and go about. And so I just say, Lord, I don't know it all, but you do. You know the very depths of my heart and my soul. You know what's there. I can't hide it from you. You see it even when I don't see it. And so I confess it to you. I want to be right. I want to be, I want to live Holy, I want to do righteous things. And this flesh and this world fights tooth and nail to keep that from happening. Her attempts to conceal her sin from Jesus were useless. Mankind's foiled attempts to hide and conceal their sin from the Savior will not be successful. 
Every single one is recorded. And will be answered for. He knows all about us. Even more than we know ourselves. Listen to Proverbs 28 verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But but he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. That's what I want. I don't want justice. I want mercy. And the only place you can find mercy before God is in Christ Jesus alone. That's all. People don't know that they need the living water until they realize that they are thirsty for it. They know something is missing in their lives. They know that life has to be more than what they're experiencing. Have you ever had anybody say that to you? There's got to be more than this. Yes, there is more than this. There has to be a knowledge and a realization of sin and guilt before God. A consciousness of having offended and broken His law. People need to understand that they have offended God. That they are on trial for their sins and their crimes against Him. So Jesus is appealing to this woman's conscience. He is, he is trying to, to get her to understand her position, her state before God. And just the mention of a husband, she begins to feel conviction of her immoral life. What's interesting about this passage up to this point is the number of words in her conversation prior to his saying, go and get your husband and come back. For example, she was very talkative up until this point and now her her answers are very abrupt. According to the Greek In verse 9, she uses 11 words. In verse 15, she uses 15 words. In verses 11 and 12, she uses 42 words. But in verse 17, she uses three words. No husband. I. No husband. Three little words. Isn't it interesting How people will be very talkative and very conversational until you begin to talk about their sin and then they start to shut down. The answers become very curt. Their eyes sometimes glaze over. Their minds put up barriers. They don't want to talk about sin. I don't want to talk about my sin and what I'm going to have to answer for before God. I don't want to talk about that. And so they'll go anywhere and everywhere else to try to evade the truth about who they are. William Hendrickson writes... 
She is throwing up her guard. He, she refuses to be exposed or unmasked. She is by no means immediately ready to make a full confession of her sins. I remember what that was like. I didn't want to talk about my sin. I didn't even, I didn't even want to face it. I didn't want to face the fact that I was a sinner before God. She is trying her best not to be saved, which is what we all do. There's not a single one of us in here that did not run from God when He came to find us. We were running fast as we could to get away. But Jesus did not give up. He makes this stinging addition. If it were not enough that she be convicted about saying, go get your husband. Listen to this. You're right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. Ooh, he's just... He has just uncovered her entire life. You told the truth when you said that, but you didn't tell it all. Here's the truth. You've had five husbands and you're now living with a man who is not your husband. What would people say about that statement today? Our society, our society has so engulf this idea of of immoral living that it's nothing anymore for two people to live together and not be married. No one is saved that does not first see and understand their own sinfulness. One must know that they're lost before they can be found. Jesus, as it were here, flashes a mirror... So that she can see herself and understand the reality of her sin and its ugliness. Sin is an ugly thing. Jesus' statement to her is one of supernatural observation. And it looks directly into the heart of this woman. His statements, you have, you have had five husbands, is one of accuracy But there is no moral judgment in his statement. He did not say you've had five husbands, you sinful woman. He didn't say that. He didn't have to say that. She knew. She knew as soon as he said, go and get your husband. It all came to her right before her eyes, who she was and what she had done. In all of her life. Unless she, unless she was a black widow, it seems reasonable that her first five hus- marriages ended in divorce. Maybe some of her husbands died. But I, I'm thinking that probably it all ended in divorce. And now she has taken a further step in life, in a life of fornication, by living with a man outside of marriage. 
by the way, it is still a moral failure and sin for two people to have a conjugal relationship without marriage. It's sinful for two people to live together and not be married. Doesn't matter what the society says or sees in it, it matters what God says about it. The Bible views marriage as a formal, legal, public covenant between one man and one woman. Matthew chapter 19. However, as in, as in all things, there was in that day, in, in the day of this woman, uh, there, was a, there were many Jews that followed the school of Hallel, which took a very relaxed view of marriage and divorce and interpreted the divorce passage from Deuteronomy 24 to mean that a man could divorce his wife for any reason, even if she just displeased him in some way, he could divorce her. And this goes to the fact that women were second-class citizens looked down upon and used in that society. In fact, divorce was such a problem that Jerome, the Latin scholar of the third century, writes that one woman had no less than 22 husbands. There really is nothing new under the sun. The Samaritan woman was obviously shaken by Jesus' accurate assessment of her life. He is preparing her for the gift of living water. She is thirsting. She has thirsted to death with her life. He reveals his own divine nature and omniscience by knowing the woman's intricate past and present life. Listen, this is, this is the message that in the gospel that people need to understand is that Jesus knows all about their lives. Nothing is hidden. Every word will be judged. Every thought, every deed, even when there's no one else to see it but them. Notice that she does not deny the remarks that Jesus made. She knows them to be true. And by saying to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, she is really saying, yes, everything you said of me is true. It's all true. Now we're getting to the point of repentance. She is beginning She is beginning to be broken inside. She is beginning to come to the place where she is ready to admit that she is indeed a sinner who has grievously sinned against God. It's an acknowledgement of her guilt. And it is the first step toward salvation. Jesus was not in the habit of purposely exposing people to ridicule and embarrassment with his complete knowledge of them. 
But here he does. But keep in mind that there's no one else there. It's just him and the woman. And so it's not a crowd. He's not embarrassing her in front of a crowd. Although I imagine she was somewhat embarrassed to think that this man knows my life. This man knows what I've been doing. He knows what I've been up to. He knows that I had husbands and now I'm living with this guy. He knows it all. Nothing to hide. It's a beautiful place to be, folks. It is a beautiful place to come to when there is nothing else to hide. And it's all out in the open before God. And so she makes confession. He He actually makes the confession for her. She agrees with it. In verse 19, she says, Sir, which is translated from the word kurios, which is translated more than 600 times in the New Testament by the word Lord. She says, Sir, Lord. But he was not yet her Lord. She recognizes him for more than the average person. Lord, you're, you're a prophet. You know things. And obviously from God. She was being respectful to the one who had divine knowledge of her. It would not be long until the spirit would blow through her heart. And awaken her dead spirit to receive the gift of life. Which is the water of life. I want you to look. notice the word perceive. In the verse, verse 19. She says, sir, I perceive. It means to understand, to look closely or attentively at something, even with a sense of wonder. You're getting understanding. Sometimes scientists will take a microscope and look in that microscope at things to blow them up, to magnify them so that they can understand what's going on in a particular thing in the, in the molecular level. <clears throat> this is the word perceive. She is beginning to grasp the fact that Jesus knows all about her and it's making her very uncomfortable. Would you be uncomfortable? If when talking with someone, they all of a sudden began to say things about your life that no one else knew but you? Yeah, I think we would all be uncomfortable with that. I'm glad that God did not give clairvoyance to people so that they could see what we're thinking and read our minds and know our hearts. Nobody has that capability. We can't even know our own hearts, much less the heart of somebody else. But God does. Christ does. So what do you do? What, what, what do those do who are nervous and self-conscious? What do they do when confronted with their <clears throat> moral failures? Well, they do exactly what this woman did. They change the subject. Change the subject. This is what she did. Um, Go get your husband. I don't have a husband. 
Ah, well, that's true. You don't have a husband. But you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Mm, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. But you say that Jerusalem's the place to worship. I think here's the place to worship. What does that sound like to you? That sounds like a diversion tactic to me. Does it even fit the conversation? Well, Jesus addresses that. But he addresses it with salvation in mind. Only if she is sincere about a new life of worship to God could this meaning be not diverse, not a diversion. But in verse 17, she tried to hide the fact that she had five husbands and was living with a man. <clears throat> Hendrickson writes this, quote, Here, as it seems probable to us, we see a woman who is in her anxiety to drop a painful subject, proposes a question about which she has heard much and in which she has developed a certain interest. This interest has been stimulated by the stranger at the well who has shocked her to the very depths of her being and the Holy Spirit is working in her heart though she does not cherish the idea of dwelling any longer on the subject of her immoral life, she is beginning even now to regret her condition. See, that's what's really happening. She's convicted of sin, and she is uncomfortable talking about it, and she is thinking, maybe I could change the subject here. Which is what people do. She may be asking this question because she realizes the depths of her sin and feels the need to take an offering to God. That's possible. So where does she go? Does she go to Jerusalem? You Jews say Jerusalem is the place to worship. Or does she worship at Mount Gerizim? She could be sincere. It's it's a it's a toss up. She would have been thinking maybe this. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, "Your offspring I, to your offspring I will give this land." So Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. That happened on Mount Gerizim. And he built an altar there. And then in Genesis 33 verse 20, Speaks of Jacob who erected an altar and called it El Eloshi Israel. Which is an altar that Jacob built on Mount Gerizim. So she could be pointing over to Mount Gerizim and say that's where we worship. But you say we worship in Jerusalem. It's either a diversion to change the subject. Or it's a sincere request to know where to go to worship. The Jews claimed that Jerusalem was the central place for worshiping God because that's where the temple was. So who was right? Well, Jesus interjects the truth about worship and ushers in a new economy 
of worship found in the following verses. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. He brings it right back around to salvation. So if you want to know how to, how to really witness the gospel to people, this is how you do it. You give them the truth. You confront them with their sin. You give them the truth about Christ and his salvation. And if they try to change the subject, you bring it right back around to salvation again. We live in a sinful world and it is becoming more sinful by every day that passes. And the sad part about it is in our society and in our culture and cultures like ours. It has become so open that people are no longer, they no longer feel what it is to sin. The only way that a person can understand what it feels like to sin is to see God in his holiness and in his judgment of sin. I'm so thankful that he did not judge us, but rather redeemed us and put our judgment upon Christ in our stead. This woman is like so many in our world. Lost. Going through the daily grind of living with sin weighing them down. Like like Christian with a heavy load and burden of sin on his back. Until he reaches the cross. And his sin rolls away down the hill. He never has to carry it again. That's what it means to have the living water. It's a wonderful thing. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time this morning. Our Father, we thank you so much for this Lord's Day and for the opportunity to come and to worship, to sing praises and to give and to pray and to preach. And Lord, all these things we've done this morning in worship and in adoration to you. You, the living God, who gave us living water that springs up into eternal life. And we have it. We have it right now. We don't have to wait for it. It is ours right now. And one day, you will come and receive us and and we will be with you And there will be no more sin and there will be no more sickness and there will be no more pain, no more straying, no more worry. We desire that. We look forward to that. We believe that. And we cry within our the depths of our hearts. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come and take us to Yourself. Because you promised 
that where you are, there we would be with you. So we believe it and we cling to it. And one day we'll sit down, no doubt, we'll sit down with this woman who came to the well and ask her to tell us the story once again of how the Savior came and confronted her with her sin and saved her from it. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.